This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Tired of not getting a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What's your favorite book? My Eevee. All About Eevee book. Eevee's on Pokemon. Oh, yeah. So the All About Eevee book. Gabrielle, what's your favorite book? My favorite book, it's the dinosaur one. Now, Annalise. What is your favorite book? Wacky Wednesday. What do you like about Wacky Wednesday? There was a thing wacky. Everything was wacky. Three, two, one. Wait. Start the show. Hey, everybody. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Aisha Roscoe, filling in for Sam Sanders. And today we're talking about books and the recent battles over some of them. Now, what a society teaches its children really says something about what it values. So it's no surprise that schools have been ideological battlegrounds over and over again. This year, we've seen the backlash against so-called critical race theory and also a push for state laws targeting trans kids. These fights have trickled down to school libraries and classrooms and which books you should or shouldn't find there. Calls to ban books are popping up all over the place. Texas Republicans are launching an investigation into what types of books school districts have, specifically ones that pertain to race and sexuality. A Texas state lawmaker recently put together a list of roughly 850 books that, quote, might make students feel discomfort, guilt, anguish, and any other form of psychological distress because of their race or sex. One of the things I loved about school was being in a space where I could feel guilty, anguished and all of these things in sort of a controlled environment. That's Tracy Thomas. She's the host of the Stacks podcast. Like in the classroom, not in the locker room, right? But like in the classroom where we get to talk about these things. I mean, that was my favorite part of school. I too loved school. And that's NPR senior editor Barry Hardiman. And I sort of loved it for maybe a different reason than you did, Tracy. I loved being in the school library because it was a place that maybe I could read transgressive things without somebody looking over my shoulder. And no surprise, but I love school too. (laughs) And all the books that I could read there. So I asked Tracy and Barry, my fellow book nerds, to take a closer look at some of these recent banned books lists to see what themes come up most, what the parents should have a say, and also to offer some reading recommendations. They brought some good ones. Okay, let's get back to Tracy. But as far as the banning of the books, 850 books is a lot of books. And also, there's a lot of students. So if we're trying to control what makes students feel things, Mm -hmm. I think we're not going to be able to do any books, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because the cat in the hat could make you upset, right? Right, right. Actually, that book does make me upset. It's really upsetting. (laughs) I'm not kidding. Like, yeah. Really? (laughs) What what, what about the cat in the hat makes you upset? Well, because the mom, like, they have to clean up. The the cat won't listen to them. The mom is gone. You're so stressed out. I couldn't read that as a child. Anyway, I'm sorry to have digressed. but No, no, no. Exactly. And and that cat is so bad. And it's very stressful. And yes, that cat is a jerk. Yes. Yes, I ask I'm you. With you. I'm, I'm with sorry. you. I'm sorry. I'm so not sorry. I'm a fan of Cat in the Hat, to be honest. <laughs> Happy to remove it from the school. Uh, the Barry rule. Uh, but I think also, like, we have to define what students 
are we talking about? Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, and what parents are we talking about? Because mm-hmm. we're using that word, not we as in the three of us, but we as in like the greater cultural conversation. Yeah. And it really means white students and yep. white parents. Yeah. And I think that if that's the conversation, I could understand how there might be books that might make you feel guilty or uncomfortable, but also white parents and white students aren't the only people who are in schools. So I think that that's also like a, the much bigger issue of this mm-hmm. conversation. And Barry, where, I mean, what are you feeling about this push and this focus on books in particular? And at first it seemed like, you know, we're trying to get rid of pornography. We're trying to get rid of this or that. And then it's like, you see the books that they're getting rid of and it's like civil rights, like Ruby Bridges, like oh integrating my God. schools. Yeah. It's that like, one oh, me out. it makes the parents who were opposing integration look bad. And it's like, well. <laughs> I mean, uh, like, yeah, let's have a conversation about that. Yeah. And this is where, you know, when you talk about banned books, like I definitely come from the premise of like, no book should be banned. Yeah. Or almost no book. Like I, I know it's hard to, argue this because of Camp of the Saints and Mein Kampf, but within reason, in a school library, a university library, no book should be banned. And now that I've said that, I feel really strongly about Cat in the Hat and Magic Treehouse. But (laughs) that said, but so where is it banned? If you are talking about banning it from a library, that's just so absurd because for me, the pleasure of the library was kind of transgressive. It was sneaking around to read Flowers in the Attic and Wifey. Mm Like, and it's, you know, Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret. Like, I don't know that that's a very helpful book anymore, but at the time I was like, oh, surprise. So, you know, first of all, library reading is supposed to be expansive, but now here is where everything meets. And especially when you're talking about this push with critical race theory, um, is that teaching books, right? Curriculum books, mm-hmm. which often sort of, you know, cross over with the canon. And this is where I really think a certain kind of lawmaker goes crazy, which is that they're in a special category. And I would agree that we need to be intentional about the books we use and how we teach them. You know, mm-hmm. um, there are wonderful books out there that I think can be taught very badly. Mm-hmm. And so these are books in which we use to show the world, yeah. uh, the world at large to children. Mm-hmm. These are sort of two different kinds of, of banning and they're both bad. Mm-hmm. But I don't want anyone reading Flowers in the Attic in their 10th grade class, but I certainly want it to be available to kids as an outlet for their puberty, yeah. aggression, like all the stuff that's going to happen to them, you know? So so that is, I guess that's how I sort of view it. And as a parent, I very much want my children to be taught things that make them uncomfortable and to be able to find things that make me uncomfortable. Coming up, how parents can deal with that discomfort. I mean, we're talking about books here. What's the worst that can happen? This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Here's a familiar situation. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone. If only you had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. 
Dive into the chilling new Hulu original series, Under the Bridge, the riveting adaptation of the acclaimed true crime book. Based on shocking true events, Under the Bridge tells the haunting story of a murder that lays bare a small community's darkest secrets. Go deep into the hidden world of the town's tormented teenagers as detectives race to solve the sinister crime. Starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone, Under the Bridge is now streaming with new episodes Wednesdays, only on Hulu. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viore. Jump into a new perspective on performance apparel. Viore makes products that stand the test of time and hope to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives. Empowering your best life in clothing that can be worn for just about any activity from running to yoga. Visit viore.com slash NPR to receive 20% off your first purchase and enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75. Discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Support for NPR and the following message come from the American Cancer Society. Dr. Alpa Patel leads a team that researches cancer risk factors, and she shares how her team makes an impact. We always do what we like to think of as actionable science. So the work that we do makes its way to things like nutrition and physical activity guidelines for cancer.org, where millions of people come each year to learn about how they can better prevent cancer. To learn more, go to cancer.org. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as Black experiences, you'll hear. It means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. I think we're we're all parents on this mm-hmm. call. Mm-hmm. Like as this topic came up, I was trying to think like, okay, I got three kids. My oldest is just eight. Like, mm-hmm. if they're going around and finding a book, like, is there something that would be super upsetting to me? And my thing was, especially like when you talk about being in the library and reading transgressive things. I mean, I'm just like, if a kid is in a library and they're reading yeah. a book, you it won. Seems like a win. That like. Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, how do you even read pornography? I mean, especially in this day and age, like, how's that even possible, right? Like, I mean, they're reading. And also, let's let's not pretend that children now are going to books for pornography. Yes, exactly. They have the internet. They have. I know. I wish they were. That's Wouldn't life be thing. better? Like, I learned about sex from reading The Godfather. Uh, yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, now you like, can go And other now places. you're going other places and you're seeing things. I'm like, uh-uh. a book would probably be, I mean, a book is going to be tame compared to what you can even see on Twitter. Like, people, right. That's right. People right. share porn on Twitter. <laughs> it's very shocking, but they do. Um, so... Have you have you guys seen any of these issues play out in your children's school? I don't know if everybody's in school. I'm sure it's probably not playing out in nursery no. school, but I can tap out of this. My kids are almost two, and okay. they are really big on Good Night Moon. Good Night so. Moon. It's a, <laughs> and you know what? I'm gonna ban it. I'm gonna ban it from my house because I'm tired of it. Yeah, I'm tired of the quiet old lady who keeps whispering hush. Like, yeah. oh my god, lady. hush, hush, hush yourself. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. Barry, have you seen any of this at, at your kid's school? or So not at our school, but I definitely, um, I think that I am maybe one of the more permissive reading moms out there. And so, you know, I have a 10-year-old who does actually 
you know, wants to sort of find books on his own, which I'm grateful for. And, you know, he came back, I guess, a year and a half ago with The Hunger Games, and mm. it caused us little, a little scandal on my text chain. Mm. Um, they felt like it was too old for him? Well, because he was, like, singing the praises of it, and their kids were like, I want to read The Hunger Games, and they were like, and I think they were sort of at a moment where they didn't feel like they wanted to have a conversation about this sort of gladiatorial stuff with kids, like that it was too violent and that, you know, I respectfully do disagree. I mean, the thing that is a pain when your child brings home something that is either too old for them or you don't think they understand properly. I mean, a lot of times if your kid brings home something that you think is problematic, which they're going to do, like, then you're like, oh, crap, now I got to engage with them on this. You know, like with Hunger Games, I had to say, you know, that's kind of crazy. There's our kids killing kids. Like, you know, I had to have a conversation. So the problem with being more permissive in that is that you have to, you know, engage more. And like my little one who's eight is really into what he calls horror. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what that is really to him, but he's like into zombies and ghouls and I hate that stuff. Oh, I love that stuff. I got oh. recommendations. Oh, my God. Great. <laughs> Especially that are age appropriate. Because I'm like, because he was like, can you tell me the whole plot of it? And I was like, well, surely I can do that. And I did. I was like, I'm yes. going to spoil this book for you. That's fine. <laughs> um, and I'm going to cut out that that terrible business oh, yeah, the, the, the sex. There are bad things that happen and it, it's not for kids. Yeah. I mean, it's but so I told him the whole plot of it. And then he said, is there something that I can read that's for me? And I thought, okay, well, now I have to do the work of finding an eight-year-old horror series. So I will appreciate whatever you have to me. And he's already read scary stories to read in the dark. Yes. He's already read that. Okay, I'll, I'll mm-hmm. try to think of some more. Anthologies yeah, are good. Like kids, ghost stories, anthologies. That's what I did. I used to read a lot of ghost short stories. And my mother did not like it. You know, she's very religious. Yeah. My uh, babysitter at the time told her that she should not have been allowing me to read all of these <laughs> demonic books. <laughs> <laughs> She let me because you might end up working in public radio. I might end up working in public radio (laughs) talking about demons all the time. And so, (laughs) so, that's amazing. I mean, you know, I do think there's something about this like parental involvement. And like in my kids' school, this hasn't come up. It's you know, most of the kids are lower income, like 92% qualify for free and reduced lunch. Mm. And I don't see this sort of movement here, not because I don't even think the parents may there may be certain Mm. things they don't want their kids to read i just don't feel like they have the time or the resources to do this i feel like this is a movement for people who have a lot of time time and 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 a lot of money Money. and 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 Mm -hmm. money and resources to really take and a lot of ego like that they really think that they know what's best for all the other students because i think even aisha hearing you say that your mom didn't want you reading demonic books because of her own personal religious beliefs i don't know that she necessarily needed all of the books that had demons in it taken from all of the other students in the school you know like there's a a difference between what makes you uncomfortable as a parent and then what you think all other students in your school district should be allowed to read you know there's like Mm -hmm. a distinction there that's right. And and that's the thing, because if you start letting parents make the decisions, it sounds good. But when the parents disagree, then who wins? Right? Does it like, sound good? It sounds like a lot it, of work to me. It sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> but it's, for some parents, they're like, yeah, I want to have a say. But then it's like, OK, well, what about when this parent disagree with you? And what about yeah. the parent over there who you don't like? And she, you know what I'm saying? It's It gets mm-hmm. complicated. That's right. Uh, so, so we had you guys look at some of these lists of banned books. And did you see some common threads? Like, 
what does it seem like people are trying to ban? Like, are there some themes that keep popping up? Yeah, I saw a lot of books by Black authors, Mm -hmm. authors of color talking Mm -hmm. about race. I saw a lot of books about and by queer authors, Mm -hmm. particularly the more recent lists targeting trans and gender fluid authors. Mm -hmm. I saw a lot of books weirdly about like history, just like Mm -hmm. general, like, Mm -hmm. like Rosa Parks book, you know, like books about like things that I sort of thought were settled history, um, Mm -hmm. which was a little shocking to me. Well, a lot of bad things happened in history. We don't know. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. But it's weird to be like, okay, let's relitigate Ruby Bridges. Like, I feel like we did this. Yes. I feel like we've come to a consensus on what that story is, even if it's not the full true story, that like, this is a generally okay civil rights moment that white people people are now okay with talking about publicly. So seeing things like that on there was definitely shocking to me. And then things that had sex in them. I was going to add like another thing that I saw, you know, some of was the science stuff, like what's happening oh, to my body stuff. Oh, right. Like, but for God's sake, don't tell them. Don't tell them. Just quietly wash the sheets. Like what? A, like that to me is like, come well, you know, this is and this is a good example. Um, you know, I'm just sharing a lot today. My when I got my first period as a very young girl, my mm-hmm. mother's way of dealing with it was and I was also the kid who loved books and very good in school and a nerd. Um, she just gave me two books and she said, Here you go. <laughs> she yeah. just sent me a, it was just like a it was like a picture book, but it was like <laughs> This is what happens when you get your period. This yeah. is where babies come from. And she just sent me on my way. She didn't talk to me about them. She just said, here you go. There you go. Oh, I, I have a lot of respect for that. You know, like, I'm going to, here's some sources. Here's some sources. <laughs> yeah. And I like it. There you go. You know, and I read, I did read it. And there were pictures of people like with developing bodies. It wasn't like sexual. It was just like, this is how people develop. Science. It was science. Right. But I was felt I was very mature. I didn't like, you know, draw any funny pictures on them because I was mature. I was like, I'm mature. I can I can read this. Mm-hmm. That's the way it made me feel like, okay, I'm very mature now. I get it now. This is one of these topics which brings up a lot of things that I think are funny, but it it's so deeply sad yeah. in at its heart, which is that I noticed one of the books on there was a book about developing bodies in Spanish. Mm. There was something so just like you're going to lock the door to so many like yeah. that just that actually like I got a lump in my throat about that like what an unkind thing to do. I just that yeah. one really that one killed me. Stay with us. Coming up, we'll get into what to read and what you're good to skip on these banned books lists. This message comes from NPR sponsor, REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing, backpacking, and another outdoor thing that rhymes with backpacking. Visit your local REI co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways you can opt outside. This message comes from NPR sponsor Progressive. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit their website to get a quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate and their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. Then just choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com. 
Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, you'll hear it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. Before we dive back into things, quick note, this section contains a brief discussion about sexual abuse. I have to emphasize at this point, like we asked you guys to look at books that were on these lists, some that you love, some that you kind of don't like so much, maybe you hate, (laughs) but like (laughs) you look at these lists and... So I want to emphasize, you know, this show is not about banning books. You know, Mm -hmm. that is not what this show stands for. We would never advocate banning any books. But were there some books on there that you looked and you saw and you said, uh, that's not really a great book. It might not be a huge loss for the library. Like, Mm -hmm. is there a book on this list, Barry, that you were like, eh, that's not a huge loss, but it shouldn't be banned, but it's not a huge loss. Right. I sort of looked at this maybe a little bit more through the prism of books that were part of the curriculum. Okay, yeah. And again, like my view is, is like, you can leave them all in the library. Leave them in the library, but from the curriculum that you were like, "Mm." Right. And so one thing, you know, there were so many, guys, there were so many errors in this list, first of all. Mm. I I just want to say that because I am an editor. Um, (laughs) So that's... (laughs) That's topic one. But then the other thing, so I found on it was um, William Styron's Confessions of Nat Turner, which I did note that the gentleman from Texas thought that it was written in 1993. He must be talking about the reissue. It was written in 1968. He's a white Southern writer, and he imagined the journey of the enslaved Nat Turner's rebellion in Virginia. And so it's certainly interesting at a college level class to parse a white writer's attempt at writing the story of enslavement. And in a class where you are maybe talking about, like, who gets to write what stories, fine. But if you're going to introduce to your students, and let's say we're in high school, you know, a narrative of enslaved life, you wouldn't want to give them a narrative that was written, I don't believe, by a white Southern writer. Mm. And then it's just like the field of other choices is just so wide and Mm. has so many different kinds of books on it, which have all been banned at one time or another. I mean, for me, Toni Morrison's Beloved, when I read it in high school, absolutely and is certainly on this list. And what I think is so – it just makes me so crazy is that it's on the list usually because of sex – There's consensual sex. There's not consensual sex. Anyway, but that book was the book that made me realize what fiction could do. Mm. Like you are entering into the cathedral of someone's mind and she is going to take you back in time and you are going to feel anguish. You are going to come out of that experience feeling like maybe like as though you have been off the earth for a little bit. And once I realized the written word could do that, it unlocked so many doors for me. So, you know, if we're talking about like what I think we call now like a postmodern narrative of of what it was like to be enslaved, like I would certainly say beloved, but there's also Charles Johnson's Middle Passage, um, Shirley Ann Williams' Dessa Rose, uh, The Known World by Edward P. Jones. So like there's so many choices here mm-hmm. that I don't need to read William Styron's version. Yeah. And the thing about Toni Morrison is, and she's my favorite author, mm. and I started reading her in high school, mm-hmm. is that... The way she used language 
it did blow my mind. Yeah. Like it was it was incredible. I had never seen anything like that. I had also never seen someone capture things and people that I felt like I knew like that. Yes. And in a way that I was like, oh, yes. Like, I, I had never gotten that before. Yep. And so, Tracy, what's the book that who you think, maybe we could leave that out of the curriculum, but, you know, it's an okay book, but or maybe it's a bad book. <laughs> leave it out of okay. the curriculum, but don't ban it. <laughs> so, look, I am going to do something very dangerous here, and I am going to get canceled by everyone on oh, the no. face of the earth. But no, you know what? Here. I actually There's don't no care because I feel strongly about this. <laughs> Good. Um, and it's not necessarily in the curriculum now, but I feel strongly that we don't need to be pushing Harry Potter on children. Um, mm. I recognize that the books are maybe enjoyable. They're maybe good. But for me, and I kind of mentioned this earlier, when we talk about students, I think that the term is being co-opted to mean white, straight, cis That's right. students. And I don't know that if in a bigger sense, if we're professing to loving and seeing and supporting all students, that the work of someone who doesn't see, respect, and love all humans and people who have different gender identities should be the thing that we think and talk about as the greatest thing that ever existed. And I think that folks have to get the idea of separating the art from the artist, especially contemporary artists. Mm-hmm out of their mind. And so I just don't know that you can tell me that we're trying to protect young people mm-hmm. when we're talking about J.K. Rowling as this sort of fantastic, incredible, amazing author who is, you know, the queen of fantasy, especially when there are people like Akweke Amezi who exist, mm-hmm. River Solomon who exists, mm-hmm. George M. Johnson who exists, Case mm-hmm. and Calendar who exists, who write to and do actually see and love and embrace all students. So to me, it's less about the content of the book. And I know a lot of people love Harry and his friends and their wands, and I get that. But I don't know that that's the sort of thing that we should be saying is the gold standard to young people and that the people who create that kind of art should be held up as the gold standard of artists when I know we can do better. I agree. That was very well said. I'm not going to cancel you. (laughs) Well, you know, no, we're not canceling anybody over here. I just know the Harry Potter stands and the Taylor Swift stands are are hot and heavy. And I just, I I know it's real. It's real. It's real. It's real. I mean, if you start talking about Taylor, maybe we have a problem. But otherwise, we're good. I'm I'm teasing. I'm teasing. But so is is Harry Potter on the recent banned books or is he part of, because I know people didn't like him because of that witchcraft. So Harry wasn't on the 850 Texas list, but was on the lists of the most challenged books, books in the, yes. yeah, yeah, in yeah, the last, yeah. I think in 2000 to 2009. So, yeah. And like, what yeah. a quaint thing to cancel something for. Witchcraft. For yeah. witchcraft. <laughs> and for me, I mean, I'm fine with the witchcraft. Go off on the witchcraft. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Make her Bibbidi into a nicer boo. person. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, Barry, I, I know you mentioned that book about getting to know your body in Spanish mm. or what's mm. happening with my body in Spanish that made you really sad. What are the books on here that you are like really, and we mentioned Beloved and all of Toni Morrison stuff, yeah. but are there other books that you think 
kids are going to really miss out if these lists are allowed to stand. Yeah. I mean, frankly, most of them, I would say. But for me, so there are a couple of things that I thought were sort of interesting on the list. There were a lot lot of graphic novels. And Mm -hmm. graphic novels, like, again, this is like, I'm going to shut the door to you guys. There's such an entry for, like, this is how most kids, I feel like, this is how they learn to love reading. You know, they get their head stuck in Raina Telgemeier, you know, Raina Telgemeier's drama is on that list. Fun Home by Alison Bechdel, which is also, by the way, a graphic novel, but her prose is amazing. You know, not only are we going to take that away from you, but we're also going to take away this method of you learning to love reading. Mm-hmm. It's funny, those things made me sadder than the than the sort of ones that I always see on there that are the sort of the beloveds of the world. And, you know, like Perks of Being a Wildflower is always on there. But it was, it's sort of the ones that are also such good entry points. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think, actually, one of the things that Tracy's saying that rings so true to me is that one, we think about Harry Potter as an entry point for children. Yeah. And I, I heartily concur that it does not need to be that anymore. And that there are better, more inclusive. Like, why would you do that? If mm-hmm. you could read Nettie Okorafor, like, you don't actually need to read Harry Potter, you know? Mm-hmm. But I, this idea of taking away the things that might, that might really open up reading to kids, that just seems like a real, like, spit in the eye kind of situation. Yeah. Yeah. And and kids are reading less for fun these days. Um, yeah. There's a Pew review that just came out that found that kids, young kids, are reading a lot less for fun than they have in the past, mm-hmm. which is sad, especially for a book's conversation. Tracy, were there any particular books that really stood out to you that kind of you know broke your heart? Like, oh, yeah. this is this is what you're going to try to take out of the curriculum. I can't yeah. say that word, but you know, <laughs> curriculum. It's a hard one. Yeah, that, they're going to take it out the classroom. Yeah, they're going to take it out. It's out. So for me, um, and I know I've spoken about this before on my own show and talking about my reading taste, but I love nonfiction. That was mm. really my favorite. And as a young person, I almost always read adult books mm-hmm. a lot because there wasn't and still isn't a huge focus on nonfiction for young people. So that being said, a book that I know that I probably would have found in my school's library or found somehow that maybe wasn't curriculum, but was certainly I know would have spoken to me is Heavy by Kiese Lehman. It's an adult book. It's it's one of the great memoirs of Full that time. I've ever read. And that's probably my favorite genre. So like, you know, it's an incredible book. But I think what is really upsetting to me about the book, they call it pornography or, or whatever, because there is sexual abuse, there's physical abuse, there's harassment, there's body weight issues that come up in the book. And I think that the other part of, you know, taking out these books that make people uncomfortable is that a lot of young people are actually going through these things. And we talked about it a little bit with Mm -hmm. the puberty stuff, but it's like, look, you don't have to tell a kid what puberty is, but eventually they're going to have pubic hair. Mm -hmm. Eventually they're going to have a wet dream. Mm -hmm. Eventually they're going to start smelling. And if we are not talking to them about it and we're removing all of the stuff, then we're not even giving them a chance. Like just leave it in the library and hope that the kids find it. But taking it out and getting rid of it, it's like, yeah, they might be too young to read about sexual abuse, but some of them actually have been experiencing it since they were two or three, you know, like, so if they're old enough to experience it, they should be old enough to read about it. And I feel 
of like reading about those things because like you said I was reading a whole lot I don't know whether it was all age appropriate or whatever but part of how I learned about things I learned about sexual abuse I learned what signs to look out for and things like that was I was reading stuff and then I was like oh I know what that leads to like like I know what this this person is bad like let me look out for this person because I know that this person might not be trustworthy you know I mean I think that there are things that you can learn that your parent may not say yeah. and that or feelings that you can have that you're not allowed to express at home that you can learn in a book um about all of these things um i know that you mentioned heavy and you mentioned fun home like why do you recommend those books i know you said heavy's like the best memoir what was it about like fun home why should someone maybe who's listening who hasn't read that go out and read it It is like a whole package in terms of like an amazing piece of art because the illustrations are so evocative. Like, I don't know how to describe it. It's like there are illustrations inside of illustrations on the page. Mm. So like you can see what's on the TV and that speaks to the environment of whatever the scene is. And then yet again, and I know like there are always people that are like graphic novels aren't reading. Well, I'm sorry. This book is like some of the most gorgeous prose. And the story, which I now realize I have neglected to say (laughs) – it's a memoir. Well, that's the other thing. It's a memoir. Like, kids need to know they can write about themselves. Like, yes. this is like Tracy is all about the nonfiction. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, we need to yes. show kids that they can they can be their story. But so it's a memoir of Alison Bechdel. And essentially, it's about a daughter and a father. Um, the father is closeted. And the daughter is also gay. And they sort of spend their whole lives circling around each other's sexuality, but never really talking about it. And it's so painful. And I think, um, you know, especially because she loses, I don't think I'm giving anything away, but because I think it says on the first page, but she loses her father and she won't be able to sort of make that connection. And I think it's probably most appropriate for high schoolers only because there's a lot of, a lot to take in. It's complex, but to give them that experience of, um, what is it like when you are, feel separate from your parent, but also what is it like when you have something deeply deeply in common with them and they are evincing shame about it and like you said about abuse like there are children that are going through this and they need to know that at the end of that book she is going to be herself her own wonderful self and she's going to have this book and a whole bunch of other books and a tony award-winning musical and and you know like they need to see that story too and know that that one is a true story Thanks again to Barry Hardiman and Tracy Thomas. Barry is a senior editor at NPR, and Tracy Thomas is host of the Stacks Podcast. This week's episode was produced by Janae West, Anjuli Sastry Kerbacek, Audrey Wynn, and Liam McBain. Our intern is Nathan Pugh. Our fearless editor is Jordana Hochman. And our big boss is NPR senior VP of programming, Anya Grunman. All right, until next time, take it easy. I'm Aisha Roscoe. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. 
Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. It's a high-stakes election year, so it's not enough to just follow along. You need to understand what's happening so you are fully informed come November. Every weekday on the NPR Politics Podcast, our political reporters break down important stories and backstories from the campaign trail so you understand why it matters to you. Listen to the NPR Politics Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.